Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recovery Executive Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the only podcast out there that's geared towards executives, owners, and directors within the treatment center space. Recovery Executive Podcast is also brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in growth, admissions generation, and marketing for addiction treatment and behavioral health. Today, I'm speaking with James Crater. James Crater is the co-founder and CEO of Spara Health. The reason I'm having him on the show and why I'm very excited to have everyone kind of listen to what he has to say is they are focused on creating software and mobile apps around alumni engagement. In our work with our clients, alumni engagement tends to be one of the most neglected areas of outreach, marketing, referrals, what have you, that generates a huge return on investment for fairly low cost. So if you are a treatment center and you don't have at least 20% of your admissions coming from alumni, either as referrals or, you know, unfortunately, perhaps sometimes relapses, right? There's a big problem. So what James has done and his team has done is worked with centers very closely to determine kind of what works and then built in a lot of data tracking systems into their app so you can determine which alumni are engaging, what kind of content or what kind of outreach works with different alumni. The issue that we have these days is everything needs to be omnipresent. Some people like phone calls, some people like text, some people like Facebook messages. And so you need to integrate cross channel and find out what works for different segments of any audience, whether it's alumni, referrals, potential patients, et cetera. So we'll get a lot into what you can do in terms of alumni outreach, what are some simple wins for centers to, you know, kind of see hopefully a quicker return and what's more of a long-term game plan. Because really at the end of the day, if you do alumni engagement well, it will basically set you apart from 90% of the centers out there. And you'll we're seeing a very, very high return on the investment in ways that are maybe not so easily trackable. So that's why I really like what James is doing with these apps where it puts a, a higher level of tracking capability on there that obviously a lot of owners and executives want to be able to invest in these alumni strategies, which tend to be a bit longer term, right? They take a bit longer to get up and running, but once they are up and running, then you see a much bigger return on the investment than you would from some more um, PPC style, Facebook ad campaigns, billboards, what have you, outbound marketing. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Hey, James, great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. A little under the weather, uh, unfortunately, with Memorial Day. caught something, but not too bad, so appreciate you asking. Uh, so can you just introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners here and who you are, where you're coming from? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously, my name is James Crater. Uh, I'm a co-founder and currently the CEO of a company called Spera Health. Um, so we're based in Nashville, Tennessee. We build uh, we build software for the behavioral health space. So what that means more specifically, um, uh, we have features around uh, alumni engagement, uh, continuing care, recovery coaching type things, uh, as well as outcomes collection uh, and reporting. So we we do quite a quite a bit, um, but a lot of it relates to that post-residential discharge period um, when people are kind of transitioning out of that more protected environment into the real world. We, we wanted to build something that could help people, uh, you know, have a better chance of, of staying sober or clean once they leave. So um, so that's what we do. So we have a platform with a, with a, a mobile app for patients and alumni uh, for when they come out. And then we have a dashboard uh, for providers to, you know, see how people are doing, 
communicate with them in a HIPAA compliant way, run, in, run engagement initiatives, all kinds of good stuff. Awesome. So that's yeah. really why I wanted to uh, talk to you because I know a lot of centers kind of struggle, you know, post-discharge, what are they doing, both in terms of aiding, you know, alumni in their recovery, but also in terms of engaging alumni so that, you know, they may just stay top of mind and sending referrals back and things like that. So, you know, recovery and the business perspective. Uh, can you tell me how you got into the alumni end of things or what you kind of saw, where the need was and what problems yeah. you're trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, alumni was definitely something I wasn't even really that familiar with coming into it. Uh, my co-founder and I spent about 18 months doing research trying to figure out, you know, where in the space we could come in and help. Where were the problems and what were we interested in helping? Um, and it was something that just came out of our what we call customer development interviews. Uh, we found that alumni engagement was becoming kind of the newest big thing. Um, people, as you mentioned, were seeing the, the business value as well as the, the clinical value of, of following up afterward. Um, and they had mentioned that the tools in the space up to that point were pretty lacking. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate enough to be based in Nashville. So we got, we got to talk with some of the larger providers that are in our backyard. And, um, you know, it came just directly from them. They're like, this is what we need. Um, and uh, so we're like, okay, well, that seems pretty interesting to us because it was pretty close to the original idea that we had, which was a little bit more clinical in nature and a little bit, bit more focused on like therapy and private practice. Um, so what we decided to do was we would build basically an engagement platform. And since people don't want to have multiple apps, the idea was, you know, we'd build out features for alumni engagement and then we'd move to a more clinical type feature set. And then, and then now we're focusing a lot more on the outcomes collection and things like that as well. Hmm. So since the alumni departments wear all these crazy hats, uh, you know, they have so many different responsibilities. Our platform has to be pretty multifaceted to make sure that it's, you know, actually useful. That's very interesting. So what are some of the particular challenges that you're seeing, you know, the people working in the alumni space in the centers having? Yeah, I think by far the biggest, uh, by far and away, what, what most people would say is, you know, getting the resources um, and the investment from, you know, the powers that be. Um, a lot of these alumni programs are very new or just starting because people are just now starting to understand all the value that we discussed before. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the biggest thing is that most of these places, you know, some of them will have thousands of alums and, um, you know, they'll only have like one or two people to, um, you know, keep track of how they're doing and things like that um, and actually follow up. So it's just a big, big job and people don't have enough time in the day to really do it. So I would say that uh, getting the investment and the resources to really have a good alumni program would be number one. Um, the other things would be like introducing alumni programming as early as possible and emphasizing it at discharge, the importance of it, and not only the importance, but also the value. So, you know, why, why do I care about joining the alumni program? What's in it for me? I think a lot of providers could do a better job at explaining like, you know, these are the benefits of joining our alumni program rather than like, you know, it just being a mechanism that's, that's good for the provider. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, a lot of the a lot of the alumni programming is based on events. And so I know that a big challenge that a lot of them have is trying to get people as many people to show up to events as possible. Um, so, you know, coordinating that and then keeping everyone connected, obviously, which is what we do, um, making them feel like they're not kind of abandoned once they leave. Um, so, you know, there's there's quite a few challenges um, and we're trying to address, you know, as many as we can with, within reason, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, with a lot of the clients we have, obviously it does tend, tend to be very event focused and something I think I've noticed and maybe you can comment on this is you really have to 
create events that your alumni are interested in. <laughs> Sometimes centers yeah. like to create events um, that they think they're interested in. Yeah, yeah <coughs> definitely. It's tough. And, and obviously, there's some experimentation. And um, I think what Sorry. people have to do is, is just see what works and then kind of double down on that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely tough. But I think what a lot of people do is they 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 find kind of their uh like a, a niche a group of what i would call like you know the, their super alumni or so um you know the people that are really going to become ambassadors to the program and really catalyze attendance and things like that um so getting help from from other alums i think uh from the ones that are the most involved and most excited is is kind of a big thing and can help kind of improve turnout and things like that yeah for sure i think that's really um important to recognize sorry just having a little bit of trouble getting over that cold <laughs> apologize yeah i think i'll be all right Jeez, yeah yeah one of those mornings so uh within the alumni i think that's interesting right is the specific alumni that tend to be your super alums and that's when you're working with any industry or field there's always a core group of people that are like really into what you're doing right and yeah. kind of your 80 20 rule um, so in terms of what you see or in terms of the app that you guys have developed, is there any way that you can help centers identify who those people are? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we report on a bunch of things and, and one of those things is engagement. Um, so not, not just at like a population level, but also at, at, the, uh, at the individual level as well. Um, so, you know, we, we, can help, we can help providers identify who, who are the most engaged, at least with the app anyway. You know, uh, just because they use the app a lot doesn't necessarily mean that they'll, you know, show up to events and things like that. But, you know, they're good candidates to be those, those catalysts and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, so, so we report on, on activity, you know, what kinds of things people are doing, how often, stuff like that, uh, just to give people a sense of, you know, who's really engaged and, and who is, you know, less engaged. Yeah, very cool. So what kind of follow-up strategies do uh, you guys recommend for centers? You know, obviously they're using the app, but what else do you recommend that they're doing to keep their alumni engaged? Uh, the, the big thing that I've been hearing more and more of that seems to be working for a lot of people is, uh, is text, actually. Um, and so obviously that's something that we've tried to focus on more as well as building out our text message functionality. Um, but text is huge, especially with with, uh, you know, my generation who, you know, we hate picking up the phone. Um, so you kind of have to meet us where we're at, as they say, and um, kind of utilize channels that have a user-friendly experience for us. So, you know, I, I hear stories all the time of uh, coordinators calling alums and saying, you know, or, or leaving a message, not getting a response, whatever, calling them a bunch of times, and they'll get a text back and say, hey, you know, I'm doing fine, you know, sorry, whatever, let's, let's talk here. Um, so I think, I think given how difficult it can be to reach people um, and how much time coordinators spend trying to call people, I think it's, it's a smart thing to do to try to figure out who has what contact preferences um, and especially try to experiment with different channels. But I think text is, is a really exciting one. And I think that you'll see a lot of people start to adopt that more and more. Um, a lot of the ones that I know that have kind of more advanced alumni programs are, are already doing a lot of text. Uh, as it is. Yeah, that really seems to be the way forward. I mean, even when we're doing um, inquiry generation, you know, text seems to be a lot 
better in terms of getting responses from people than phone outreach these days. And I know we have a couple of providers as well that are focusing on it for their alumni. So I think it's just a changing trend, right? And I don't know, I'm kind of starting to get like that myself. Like I just hate answering the phone. <laughs> I just like want people to text yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something else that we want to do. So millennials, it's really interesting, right? We, we hate the phone, but there are studies that show that we actually prefer in-person meetings more so than even like the boomers and, and things like that, mm. which I found pretty interesting. So we're not as anti-social as people think. We're just social <laughs> in a different way. Sure. And um, so anyway, my point there being uh, another thing that I think you'll see people start to do more, or I'm hoping, uh, I, I think this is a little bit further out, would be like video conferencing and things like that because mm. it's just a little bit more personal. Um, but the other cool thing about, about text is you can also use that as a, as, not as a substitute, but also as a a way to augment the call thing. So, you know, you could just use text to make sure that they're going to pick up that day. Uh, if sure. you're really kind of, right. um, so there's, you know, I think, I think a multi-channel approach is the way to go. Uh, but again, I, I, as I mentioned, I think text is really exciting. I mean, yeah. the open rate on text messaging is like 97%. Like right. everyone sees a text. It's right. like impossible to miss a text. So, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. I mean, like, obviously, we're in the marketing space, and you used to get 80 to 90% open rates on email campaigns back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it'll get abused and people will stop looking at it. But for now, it's great, you know, so always you know, jump on those trends. Um, is there anything that you've seen outside of that? You know, sometimes providers are doing like Facebook groups, sometimes they'll try Twitter chats, things like that. Have you guys done anything around that, or do you have clients that do? <clears throat> Uh, Twitter, Twitter is new to me. Not many I know are using Twitter. I think because it seems very public. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook, people were using a decent amount, but I think that people are starting to move away from that more and more, um, especially just because of all this Cambridge Analytica stuff. I think people trust Facebook less and less with with their patients' data, even even if they have a secret group. Mm -hmm. um, but Facebook is definitely really common. Uh, I, I spoke with someone recently that that uses Snapchat. Oh yeah, um, interesting. Maybe not the greatest for like community building per se, but you know, a fun little way to interact with people. And then I know people are using Instagram too. So, um, you know, people are using all kinds of channels. Um, but I'd say those are the most common. But I think Facebook groups are probably the most common. Um, like, actually, they're almost certainly the most common in terms of the other platforms. Um, but the ones that that have a you know a, a pretty robust alumni and, and marketing wing will usually. Uh, work a bunch of channels, although I haven't really done a deep dive in terms of, you know, how engaged those people are and if they're, you know, really getting uh, the value out of that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think your Facebook groups are always a challenge. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are always surprised and get to kind of the response rate of things, right? But for a Facebook group, yeah. like if you have 10% of people engaged in a Facebook group, that's really good, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, well, the thing is, with, with all of these engagement initiatives, you know, you're never going to engage the whole population. Right. I mean, even with the app, I always say this, you know, we're, we're trying to build the most awesome, sweet app we possibly can that people will want to use. But at the end of the day, you know, some people just don't want to use an app for their recovery or, or just don't like apps at all or, you know, don't want anything to do with you afterwards. <laughs> sure. Um, and that's fine. You know, they're in a tough spot in their lives. So, um, so yeah, I think the idea is that you know you, you'll never be able to engage the whole population, but if you can engage a significant amount of it and of them, and you know provide real value, I think the people, even if it's only like 20, 30 percent, are really going to appreciate 
uh, you know, the service that you provide for them. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of centers, what they need to move towards and even move away from this kind of like one channel mentality where it's just like, well, I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna do this. Like, no, you really have to have a kind of omnipresence. Everything's integrated. Right. You know, really interesting. Uh, we have a client that's running an AdWords campaign, uh, locally based, and they found that like a good chunk of the people that were checking out their AdWords ads would not click on the ad. But then they would go and they'd Google search the center name and then they would call the center from the standard Google number. <laughs> you know, and we see yeah. stuff like that happen all the time. So it's this understanding that, you know, if I'm running a Facebook campaign, if I'm doing business development outreach, if I've got AdWords and then people search on the website, like it's all playing together and it's hard to track that in a certain sense, but it yeah. works that way. So I think, you know, I have a digital marketing background that, yeah. you know, if I were to have a, a skill in life, that would be it, and, <laughs> uh, it, you know, debatable whether that's true or not. But, um, you know, I, so I went to Google, like the Mountain View campus, uh, a few years ago for, for some conference for, you know, people that did AdWords advertising. Um, and they were talking about exactly what you're talking about is how conversion funnels are a lot more complicated than we've been giving them credit for yeah. and trying to track them across multiple channels. Um, you know, did this alley-oop to this? And uh, it's really difficult. And it's something that I don't think Google has even figured out yet. No. Uh, just because mm -hmm. it's so hard. Like, how do I know? How can I tell if you viewed it on your phone, but then went to your desktop and, and clicked on something there that, or, you know, you Googled it directly from there. Right. Uh, it's a tough problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, tools are getting better, but there's, I don't think there's ever be a way to actually splice that 100%. I think you just have to have a certain level of trust in the process. You know, and I think what... Another thing people forget a lot of the time is there's a lot of lurkers. <laughs> so even if you have like a 10% engagement rate on like your Facebook group, there's probably another 30 to 40% of people that like literally watch every post, but you never know they're there. And that's super common. Yeah. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge Reddit guy. Reddit is my favorite website like ever. And yeah. probably, I'm, I probably spend like a third of my day just, you know, zooming through Reddit oh, wow. every now and then. <laughs> Maybe a slight exaggeration, but I'm on there a lot, or at least, you know, I check in and out. It's just kind of a a way to pass the time every now and then. And I've, I've, I've been really active for like, I don't know, maybe six or seven years on that website, mm. but only the, by viewing, I have not posted a single time. Well, that's funny. Yeah. So yeah. And that's the majority of people, right? The majority of people are not going to engage or active, but they're there, they're watching, you know, again, we see that on, I'm sure you guys see it on your alumni app. You can see them logging in, but maybe not texting back or messaging people. You know, we see it all the time in terms of like calls coming in where, you've never heard from this person in your life, but suddenly they reach out and they're like, yeah, I've been following you for three months. Um, I need to get my daughter into treatment. And you're like, okay, well, how can we help? You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, kind of looking at the business end of things then, uh, when you're working with alumni, have you seen anything that centers are doing or that you guys help with that kind of encourages those referrals or even maybe numbers you might have around, like if you've seen a percentage of referrals increase after you've started working with the client? Um, so I guess, let me see, where do I start here? So, um, you know, usually usually the treatment centers we work with have a pretty organic process to it. I, I don't think they're too um, upfront about asking um, just because they don't want to give off the impression that, uh, you know, that's the reason that they're talking to you. Um, you know, most, yeah, of the calls right. are, most of the calls focus around like, you know, outcomes collection as well as, you know, is there anything I can do for you? Um, but, you know, I think that there's value in that because I think people know that if you have a strong relationship with your coordinator, I think that they know that, you know, if they do know someone that, that needs help, that, you know, they know that they can tell you that. Um, so, you know, not, not, not super directly. I think the most important thing 
that you can do to have strong alumni, uh, a strong alumni program and people that will happily refer to you is, is ironically something that the alumni can't, or coordinators can't really control at all, which is, you know, have an excellent, excellent time in treatment, feel mm -hmm. like you were given the best possible care and that, and that the people there really do care. Yeah. Um, which sounds obvious, but I, I think, I think a lot of centers today could, could probably take a good, good lesson from that. Um, so I think, I think the treatment itself is going to be one of the biggest indicators of, of how, uh, engaged and how, you know, how likely people are to refer to you. Uh, you know, it's just like any other service. If I have a good, if I have a good experience, I'm going to refer you. If I don't, or if it's just okay, uh, I'm not going to be that active. Um, yeah. so I think, you know, but to give you kind of a little more direct answer, you know, I think what people do is they just listen and, you know, if someone mentions, you know, I had a friend that, that, you know, isn't doing well or is, is bringing me down or something like that, then, you know, that's, that's a potential one, you know, often, often, um, you know, families are in this together. Um, and you know, like, you know, two or three of them will be alcoholics and it'll be right. kind of causing a problem for, um, you know, the person that is directly under your care. Um, so in those conversations, obviously that's, that's something that you can be like, you know, is it, you know, would they, would they potentially benefit from our services? Would they be a good fit? Things like that. Um, so really just listening. Um, usually these things will present themselves. Um, but yeah, I'd say that it's, there's no like, uh, you know, silver bullet to that. Yeah. Um, it's really just, just establishing a strong relationship and kind of like a lot of marketing is today. It's less like, it's less about like selling your message all the time and more about just being omnipresent. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of like, that's kind of the point of our platform, right? Is that other than all the, the clinical benefits and things along those lines and, and all the value that it brings there, you know, at the end of the day, it's on your, you know, we, we allow them to white label, right? So it's branded as, you know, your treatment center's app. And so you're not like sending them an ad every day, but at the end of the day, they see your logo. And yeah. so they know, you know, you're top of mind. So it's, uh, I think marketing is, is becoming more and more subtle. Um, and I think that that will continue to be the case. Yep. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to getting referrals, I think you have to be, you have to be very careful and toe a fine line because if people feel like, you know, you're just, you're just there for, for the referrals and you're not there to really offer support or offer them value, then, you know, they're really not going to pick up the phone anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's that authenticity and genuineness that I think is always really important um, from the treatment perspective all the way through follow through discharge and kind of alumni engagement for sure. I would definitely agree with you as well that, you know, the more that you engage with people, the more you stay top in mind. I mean, that's really how marketing works. It's all about trust, right? So do you have a trust relationship? Yeah. And it's surprising to me still to this day, how much we do in the space where if you're not engaged with people or, you know, kind of talking to them, they'll, they'll just forget about you, <laughs> you know? So you bring up that, that example of like, well, I've got other families, or I've got friends that are struggling um, with substance abuse and like, it just won't come to mind. They wouldn't be like, oh yeah, you should go to this treatment center I went to. But if you're talking to them on a regular basis, it just jogs that memory link. And they're like, you know what? I just talked to, you know, James, who's my alumni coordinator from my treatment center. And he's a great guy. I think maybe you guys should get connected. And that's kind of how it works. It's, it's very organic. It's not like you have to have an ask in those conversations, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, when someone, let's say you are an alum and, you, and, and again, uh, I keep bringing everything back to the app, but, you know, obviously I believe in what we're doing. So 
um, you know, I think that it's a big trust signal, and I think it says a lot about a, a brand or, or, or an organization, a treatment center. Um, you know, this company cares enough to invest in resources to take care of me, even when I'm not paying them anymore. Right. Um, you know, they have people following up with me. I have this app. You know, there's all these things that they do to show that they care, and it's not just like, you know, they throw me out the door when I'm done, and, you know, if my insurance is up, you know, that's it. They they care. They follow up. They, they you know, they invest in a, in a platform to make sure that that I and the rest of the community are doing fine, and I think I think that that probably uh, I think actions speak a lot louder than words, and I think um, you know if you were to show your your friends that if 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 that person needed treatment, I think that that would probably probably speak a lot for for the value and of the of your program and how much you you actually care. So. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know something that I think you're always trying to do is create the sense of community. I mean, because one yeah. people really need it, right? Coming out of treatment, they absolutely need a community. I mean, it's usually why one of the first things you want people to do is go find an AA meeting, find a sponsor, um, because you need to start building that alternate community away from you know your friends or family who are using in the past. And if you can build that community around your center, even better. I mean, even simple things like celebrating people's sobriety birthdays, like that's yeah. huge. You know, and it's it's something small. It doesn't take a lot of time. Um, so if you if you do it, you'll see that engagement coming. I mean, when we run campaigns or if we do Facebook group posts for clients, we'll see that a lot too. Just a sobriety birthday celebration. Everyone's like, yeah, congratulations, great job. You know, it makes people feel like they're part of something. Yeah, a lot of the alumni programs now, especially again the ones with you know a little more resources, they'll um, you know they have their own uh, you know twelve step like chips that they'll award to people um, if they come back for reunions and things like that. So, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so so they, they do try to celebrate that. I know. Hello. 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 Your birthday and things like that. Um, so hey, yeah, so things, James, things like that. Making, James, yeah. pause really quick. We lost you somehow in the middle. Um, so why do, I can edit this later. So why don't I ask you the question again um, and just start from the beginning? Okay. Yeah, it's really weird. Oh, just yeah, kind of, you scared me. I thought you meant like the middle of the pod. Oh, <laughs> no, no, just now. Um, so the question was creative alumni engagement, right? Um, okay, so uh, yeah, James, have you ever seen any different kinds of like creative alumni engagement or you know what, what have you really seen working really well um, that was interesting from centers you work with? Um, so there's, there's, a few, there's a few events that are a few different things that people do that I think are, are really cool. Um, so I'm gonna name drop a couple people. Um, you know, one in particular uh, that I think is really awesome is, is called Days of Ascent. Um, it's a program of Futures at Palm Beach, Futures of Palm Beach, I should say. Mm. Um, what they do is they bring um, alumni back to campus. Um, I think they do it once a year. It's this huge event. Um, and they actually do work um, with the patients themselves. Um, and I love that because it shows, I think it gives the patients hope you know, like, look, these people are doing are doing well. Um, but it also, as you alluded to before, kind of helps already start to build that sense of community, like um, just like a, a regular, you know, college alumni program would. You know, I went here. I struggle with similar things. Uh, I'm there to support you, um, you know, even though I, I don't know you before this time. So yeah. I think that that's a really cool one. Um, I think I think Pine Grove might do something similar as well. I think that, that, that's where they got the Days of Ascent from. 
but that's one of the coolest things. And I, I know a lot of alumni coordinators I talk with are pretty jealous because, um, you know, not everyone has that kind of uh, support and, and resources when it comes to alumni. Um, so that one I think is, is really cool. Um, the other thing, which, which is pretty interesting, which I see people uh, starting to experiment with, which we're looking to um, support on our platform too, is like point systems. Um, so points for basically engaging with the app and, and doing all kinds of things that are good for you, whether that's checking off goals or completing challenges or, or just checking in. Um, and so people will have like, um, like stores and things like that. And you don't actually use money on them, but you know, when you accumulate enough points, you get sent, you know, things that are, are helpful. Um, okay. so like, like one group, one group that's based here works with, uh, you know, um, mothers that are addicted as, but also pregnant, um, hmm. or just, just delivered. And so, you know, people, people for like doing the right things, people can earn things like, you know, diapers and other things like that. Um, so that, that I think is a little more creative. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of people doing that. Um, but it is interesting and it is a cool way to kind of offer them value, uh, but also kind of create value for yourself too, by encouraging, you know, greater engagement and things like that. Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm always surprised when I'm sitting in groups and things like that, where the feedback you get from people so often is that they felt so alone, that they felt like no one else was struggling with this problem. And I guess maybe just because we're in and out in the field all the time, we're like, really? <laughs> it's just like, it's all we see. Um, but it is. I mean, people get isolated, right? And and they struggle. They feel like there's no one else that's pregnant and going through addiction, or they feel like there's no one else that's struggling with heroin in their community, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so just building that sense of community has huge value in terms of people's recovery, and in terms of you know reaching other people that might be in the similar situation and need help. Yeah, community is really the key. Um, you know, there are numerous studies that show that you know, one of the most important factors for being successful in recovery are, are the connections you build and feeling like you're, you're part of something, yeah. um, particularly like a social network. Yep. Uh, and I don't just mean in a technological sense, um, which, which makes sense. Humans are social creatures. Um, and if we feel alone and isolated, uh, I think there are very few personalities that, that would really handle that well. Right. Um, so it makes sense. I mean, people need to know that others are going through a similar thing and and I think even more to the point, people need to understand that other people actually care about them. Um, you know, addiction causes or is correlated with, with a lot of shame and people yeah. uh, think that others don't care about them um, because they, you know, don't love themselves or, you know, have a lower self-esteem because of, you know, a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, but often, you know, our friends have a stronger, a, a better view of, of, of ourselves than even we do. Um, so I think being able to lean on that community and, and having a community that, um, you know, is constantly there for you and, and reminds you that they care and that you can talk to them. I think that that's huge. And it's, it's really not surprising that, that people tend to do better if they, if they integrate into a community pretty well. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, community is so essential, I think, to us as humans. And it's, it's a key component to treatment, it's a key component to a successful life. And people, for some reason, I feel like sometimes within the recovery community, we forget that, you know, when we were in active use, we were very much part of a community, right? We were part of a community yeah. of our users. 
Um, and that reinforces your beliefs and it creates walls against the outside world of the people who aren't users or following the straight path or, you know, live in the nine to five that you hate, you know, you think you hate, whatever it is. <laughs> and so, yeah, you absolutely have to replace that community, right? Like I can't just leave, you know, people who, for better or worse, I consider friends and then move into a situation where I have none, you know, you're going to end up going back to people. So by replacing it with yeah. uh, the people that are doing, you know, got uh, kind of on the straight and narrow, or at least a different path in life that's more positive. And, you know, I love like, what's a, what's a group Phoenix sports, I think it is. Um, but they just have, you know, entire communities built around sports and recovery. And they're out in Colorado and they do tons of mountain biking and rock climbing and things like that. And I see that consistently, even if you look at it like an AA group, right? It's really the community a lot of the times that helps people get through. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a big part of recovery. So I'm, I think we're on the same page there. Uh, kind of moving along with maybe centers that you said it's a newer thing coming out. So if I'm a center that doesn't really have an alumni engagement or outreach at this point, like where should I start? <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of people I talk to are at that point. Um, I, I think this is maybe a more practical answer than you're looking for, but I think the the thing that is the most important is that you can engage an alumni base that you can't contact, and you can't contact them if you don't have their information. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. like at discharge, you should you should be getting, and, and obviously you need releases and things like that. So that's another good place to start is making sure you have the proper releases in place. Yeah. And, and most of the treatment centers that I know with great alumni programs are happy to share, like they will show you theirs. Um, so they're happy to help you, um, you know, uh, and they'll, they'll be very open about the things they do and, and what works and things like that. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just making sure that you get um, people's information. Yeah. Um, so whether that's an email, a phone or both, and then also trying to figure out, you know, which of these are you actually gonna respond to? <laughs> things like that. I think that's big. Uh, the biggest problem I have is when we try to start working with someone and they don't, you know, we want to do this big app release, but we have no one to release it to because even though they have <laughs> thousands of alumni, they have no way yeah. of contacting them. And that's why they do yeah. the app in the first place is right. they can't. So, uh, so I would say that that's big. Um, yeah. The other thing that I would do, um, well, obviously other than like investing in at least one, preferably multiple coordinators, um, the other thing that I would do, I have to give a plug and shout out to my buddies at, at TPAS. So uh, TPAS, that's Treatment Professionals and Alumni Services. Um, so it's a you know it's a trade or, trade organization that focuses specifically uh, for you know alumni coordinators and, mm. and getting together and talking about best practices. Um, I'm on the collaborative committee there, so I'm a little biased, obviously. But we meet twice a year, um, you know, once in the spring and once in the fall. And people just meet and like, it's not a marketing event. It's very different from almost every other conference you'll go to. It's called a collaborative for a reason. And it's just a bunch of alumni coordinators sitting there and talking about, you know, various topics that relate to them and challenges that they're having and ways that they can do things better. Um, and I know that people that go there tend to get, you know, it's like drinking from a, from a fire hose, but people tend to get a lot of really, really good information. And it's really good for people that are just starting because you can go from zero to 60 at least in terms of ideas, uh, really fast. You, huh. know, you have to figure out which ones you can implement based on the resources that are at your disposal. But um, definitely, definitely, I highly recommend TPASS. It's it's the, the the coolest organization I've I've been a part of, to be honest with you. Um, That's you interesting. Know, it's just such a cool atmosphere, and, and people there get 
it's so close uh, just because it really doesn't feel like a normal conference. Um, so you end up developing peers that you can also reach out to throughout any time during the year and say, hey, uh, you know, how do you guys do this or, or things like that. And I think that, that is, that's a really quick way to kind of hack your way into having a, you know, alumni program as quickly as possible. That's interesting. I've not heard about that program at all. You know, you mentioned the um, the lack of information collecting. I've been I've been shocked a couple times by that too. Like I'll go in and like, well, how do you guys contact alumni? And they're like, well, you know, we don't a lot just because we don't have their contact information. I'm like, how are you not getting their contact information? They were with you yeah. for a month, you know, at least. Um, yeah. Very interesting. So yeah, definitely, I agree. Get their contact information, get their phone numbers, get their emails with the appropriate releases. But I'd say go beyond that and. Very often, you guys should be getting the contact information to our listeners out there for their referrals, right? Who referred them in, whether it was professional or parents or loved ones. Um, but people, you know, expanding outside just a standard alumni network of people who have been through the program, you know, very much so for whether it's parents or people going to Al-Anon, you know, they're all connected to other people in the treatment community, other people that are needing support and services. And so it's very good to build those circular relationships where you have like family and everyone else involved um, because that's just going to help the person in recovery too if you can keep them in the loop yeah that, that's one thing that i think even the best treatment centers struggle with the ones with the even the most um you know even the ones with the best resources and and the most programming um is that connection with the admissions program uh for the idea uh, basically trying to track you know how people heard about you and things like that um, it's really big because a lot of the alumni program, um, you know, coordinators and heads and things like that really struggle sometimes to, to try to justify to, to executives, you know, this is why you should, uh, you know, invest in alumni services. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not getting credit for, you know, referrals that came through the alumni program and things like that, um, you know, you're, 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 it's a lot harder to make the point to execs that think more in kind of a profit and loss type mindset um, that, you know, they should continue to, to provide for these services and yeah. stuff like that. So having that, having a strong connection with admissions and setting up a process is something that e- even the most uh, sophisticated of programs still struggle with. Uh, that's interesting here. Yeah, I, I've seen it too. It's definitely needed. You know, you should be asking simple questions about where, where people heard about you from and things like that. And again, that goes back to the struggle with attribution, right? Like they're always going to tell you yeah. like the last thing they remember, which may or may not be accurate, <laughs> we've found. Yeah. Um, but it's still something. It's, it's a certain amount of data. And so you just realize that that data is not perfect and there's flux in there. But if you at least have a, a foundation to go on, you can say, okay, well, we seem to be getting 10% of our current emissions from referrals. We can assume that maybe it's 15, 20, you you know, um, but that gives you a number to go on to take to the execs, like you said. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to mention for people, just because sometimes it's a confusing note, but you know, when we're talking about bringing in um, alumni and referrals and things like that, I think it's just important to remember that you have to be careful and not to incentivize those relationships in any way. You know, um, that just goes back to the whole patient brokering and everything else. But you can't have like a reward for people, you know, to bring in a referral or anything. Um, even if it's not monetary. So uh, just a reminder for the listeners to be careful and stay legal because uh, sometimes people forget when they're in the alumni space, they're like, oh, well, I just want to thank them. And that's great, you do, um, but you can't do it in any kind of compensatory way. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think I think a lot of people mean, mean well and want to do well, but they just don't know what's allowed and what's not. Right. And, and I've, 
And I think that there are obviously bad apples in this industry. I think that that's pretty obvious to anyone that watches the news. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that, that uh, are ethical and want to do the right thing. And sometimes they're just not informed. So uh, I think that that's an important note. <clears throat> yeah. And I found even just staff training and things like that. Like sometimes you forget that you got someone in admissions who maybe is new to the field, not really aware of yeah. compliance issues and stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to give them a thank you. I took them out to lunch or whatever. You know, and then you got like, oh, well, actually, you got to be really careful about that, <laughs> you know, so. Um, so really good information, I think, you know, around alumni engagement, how to get started with the program, the value of it. Are there any final thoughts that you want to give to listeners on this whole yeah. conversation? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, I guess I just want to reiterate that I think that, and, and I know that for an alumni coordinator, this isn't the most exciting thing to hear, but honestly, I think the key to having a strong alumni program is offering strong treatment. Um, so, uh, you know, anything that you can do to help things out on the front end, I think you're going to have a much stronger alumni base that actually wants to stay in touch because they really feel like you did well by them. Um, and they feel like, you know, you did the best you could and you cared. So, um, you know, offer a good treatment and it would be much easier to build a robust and engaged, uh, alumni community. Um, along those lines though, I think that there are a couple of things that alumni, coordinators can do um, to make that happen or at least begin to develop the relationship. Um, what I've heard time and time again is that it's extremely important, um, if possible, for the alumni coordinators to begin being involved even while someone is in treatment. Hmm. So starting to develop that relationship with someone ahead of time so that when you're calling them for the first time, they, they know who you are, you have a relationship. Because um, I think that that's Something that, you know, people that maybe, I, I know that some people will outsource their follow-up and things like that. Um, you know, I think it's very difficult to build a relationship with someone uh, that, you know, you haven't met in the first place, especially if you're trying to call them. But if you have the chance to see them in person, um, you know, a, a good buddy of mine who works for Banyan, um, he was telling me how, you know, he moved his office, I believe, to be, you know, much closer um, you know, to patients so he could meet them, let them know kind of the point of the alumni program before they get out and start to develop that relationship and that trust. Um, so I think the earlier that you can become involved in the process, if that's something that your clinical team will allow, um, the earlier and the more often that you can be involved and start kind of explaining the value of the alumni program and helping them see the value, I think you're gonna have a much, much better time um, you know, engaging them as alumni. And, and that's, that's directly true for adoption rates for us as well for, from the app standpoint. You know, the earlier we can introduce the app, usually the, the better uh, adoption rates are going to be. Hmm. Um, and then I think the other biggest thing I, I would say is a takeaway, um, other than, again, I would highly encourage anyone to join TPAS if they haven't. Um, I think the biggest thing is to offer value, offer real value to the alum. I think the problem with providers in general, not just alumni programs, is that some of them are only think of themselves, which, which is natural. Um, but if you're not thinking about how you provide real value to the patient once they leave, if there's no why, if they don't get it, they're yeah. not going to join the alumni program. And I think a lot of people struggle with how to sell the value. And usually, um, you know, there's a few there's a few reasons why people want to stay engaged. You know, support services. Uh, all, all kinds of things like that. But usually I think the biggest one is actually like what we talked about, feeling part of a community. So if you can really sell like, look, there's an active community that you can lean on for support, uh, motivation, and even, you know, references to, you know, a 12-step meeting, that that's a pretty good one. Or, 
you know, just fun, sober events, things like that. Um, I think making sure people understand the value to them uh, is extremely important because if they don't feel like they're getting any value, they're not picking up the phone when you call, they're not going to come to alumni events, um, you know, you're not going to have the same kind of results that you would want to see. Um, so I would say focus on trying to offer value to the alumni, um, and I think everything else will, will kind of fall into place. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes they get too perfunctory about it, right? Like, well, I'm going to send a text message to follow up, and I just want to get some outcomes data. Well, yeah. <coughs> I mean, that is not a response that, like, if I'm an alumni, I'm not going to respond to. I'm like, oh, well, they're just interested in my data collection. They're not really interested in me. There's no value there. Yeah. Yeah, out, 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 outcomes collection has a lot of the same, which is, again, why we've started to build some of that stuff. Outcomes collection has a similar issue um, where people are like, I don't see the point in just giving you data because, uh, you know, there's nothing really in it for me. Um, right. So, right. You know, and, I think that there are ways around that, but I, I know that that's something that people struggle with is trying to trying to get those that outcomes assessment data back from people that have left, you know, months and months ago. <clears throat> right. Whereas, like you said, if you step with that relationship early on and they understand the value of the connection and they trust that person we're much more yeah. likely to respond to those texts and those emails. And, you know, I think like we saw, I'm sure everyone saw already the John Oliver skit, right? So I think everyone saw that John Oliver skit, you know, and that guy on there, um, he's just like, yeah, he's like, I lie. <laughs> he's like, I lie because I'm embarrassed and I don't want to tell people. And to me, that says that there's a lack of trust there, right? If you've got trust, yeah. if you feel like there's a relationship, then you want to tell people more about how you're feeling it, and then you want the help. But if you think it's just outreach for outreach sake, then you're much more less reluctant to share information. Yeah. I mean, just like, just like the importance of building a relationship uh, with other patients post post discharge, you know, you also want to build that relationship with them. And, and the earlier that you can start doing that, uh, I think, I think the better success you're going to have, uh, you know, building an engaged alumni program. So for sure. <laughs> Well, James, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, can you give us your contact information? Like, what's the best way to reach you if someone wants to connect? Yeah, definitely by far and away the best, uh, strongly preferred method would be email. Uh, so my email is, is james at Spera Health. Spera is S-P-E-R-A. Health is how you would normally spell health. <laughs> uh, .com. James at SparaHealth.com. Uh, shoot me an email. Uh, love to talk to you. I uh, love discussing new ideas and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, thanks a lot for having me on. This is my first first official podcast. I recently became obsessed with the whole notion of podcasts. And yeah, yeah, I've been just consuming consuming content ever since. Uh, only only like a you know a couple of months ago, and so yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to finally have one under my belt. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got to be your first show that you're on. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I just they're um they're a little bit addictive, right? Like you're like, oh, I just love listening to these. It's better than the radio, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't listen to the radio, or, or I like I don't even listen to music that much anymore. It's just like straight podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm getting the same thing. So definitely interesting. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. This is a Recovery Executive Podcast. As always, is brought to you by Circle Social. You can download this podcast, listen to it on your way to work, anywhere around town. While you're getting ready for bed, whatever works for you, it's on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, basically everywhere that you can find podcasts. So thank you so much and see you guys next time.